Hey, Drew. Hey, Mark. Welcome to the first show. This is our first episode of the Love Dog Podcast. I'm Mark Drucker, and I'm going to be your host, along with the man you see sitting next to me. I am the founder of Love Dog, and Drew and I are partners in this venture. Before we get started, I do have one really important question to get out of the way, which I think is going to be important for our listeners. Are you ready? Okay, hit me. So if you were a dog, I want to know exactly what kind of dog you would be and why. Uh, this is one of those, <laughs> those put you on the spot questions, huh? Episode uh-huh. one. So my my biggest problem with this, and, and I will answer, I'm not just avoiding, is I, I have a depth of knowledge about dogs, which we'll reveal over the course of this show. And I have so many qualities I admire in different dogs. I was just working with this little Jack Russell Terrier. And while she was so distracted and all over the place, God, I loved her energy and her enthusiasm for life. So that's like who I want to be in the world is that enthusiastic terrier. But I love sight hounds. I love the calm sort of demeanor of a greyhound or, or a deer hound. And so I think I would have to be some sort of hybrid of like attributes rather than a genetically no, selected phenotype. Are no, you gonna Drew, me? they need an answer. Me into a corner? They need an All answer. Right. I, I'll go with Irish Wolfhound because I'm kind of a big guy, but I'm a gentle giant. And I think I've got a little bit going on upstairs, but I, I try to pace myself and be slow and docile. Don't Sting and Trudy have 11 Irish Wolfhounds over in London? I, I hope so. Somewhere I, in the UK. I think they have a, I think they have Irish Wolfhounds, and I think they have 11. That was a couple of years ago, so they could be down to eight or nine. They could yeah. be up to 12 or 13. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't followed it. All right, Mark, you pinned me in the corner. I feel like well, I know. I have an easy going. answer for you. I have an easy answer for you. Um, it's all what this blonde kind of hair. It's all this blonde hair. Um, I'm a golden retriever. Duh. Golden retriever. Everyone who knows me knows it. I'm just a, a I knew before you said it. Yeah. I knew before you said it. Yeah, I'm just a goofball like all the other um like like all the golden retrievers out there. And maybe that's like a great so now they know. You're an Irish wolfhound, I'm a golden retriever, so we'll see if that's a good yin and yang or where we get to go with that. But I'm glad we we settled that. I am the goofball, yes. I'm the golden retriever, and uh, that's going to be my role here as host. But Drew is the man that's going to give us some credibility here. He's well. I'm going to let Drew tell you about Drew. Why should I tell you about Drew? Go ahead, Drew. You're too kind, and, and I th- I don't think you're a goofball. I think you're lovable and loyal and and kind, <laughs> just like a golden things. retriever, exactly. Just like a golden. Yeah. Stay, stay golden, pony boy. Yeah. So I'm Drew Webster. I am the co-host here and I'm honored to be with you by your side. And uh, yeah, I'm a certified professional dog trainer, certified professional dog behavior consultant. I've been training dogs professionally a little over 20 years in the Pacific Northwest and back home now in Denver, Colorado. Um, so I've bounced around a little. I also work in academia. So I'm at the University of Denver, where I'm an adjunct professor, the Graduate School of Social Work, where I teach canine interactions in social work. So I get lots of time with lots of really brainy people. And then I like to pretend and hang out with them and see what rubs so, off on me. 
Can I ask you one question? I have often referred to you as a behaviorist and you don't like that. Okay, no. fine. So you are, is well, it let me, certified? Let me for, for credibility's sake, a behaviorist is an actual title. So that's usually reserved for say a veterinary behaviorist. So there is only a handful of board certified veterinary behaviorists in the country. I like to say, mm -hmm. I know a few, I'm collecting them as I go. And then there's CABS, which are Certified Applied Animal Behaviorists. And that's another degreed program. So when dog trainers, professional dog trainers, cringe at behaviorists, it's because they know that A, they're proud of their credentials, and B, that they are not that thing. It's kind of like calling a nurse practitioner a doctor, where they're certainly valuable and they have their own degree and credibility. They are not uh, a doctor and they know where they're, where they sit with that. So okay. really when you hear somebody say behaviorist, you should see the letter C, A, A, B, or um, DVM with that special accreditation. That's a 14 year degree, those certified board certified veterinary behaviorists. So they are. So you have a certificate in dog behavior. Yeah. And I'm that a, gives you the ability to dog train. behavior consultant and a there professional dog trainer. And a professional dog trainer. Okay. Yeah. And you're also very well connected. I just want to let everybody know. And you know a lot of really important people in the world of dogs and animals in general. So it was my lucky day when Drew walked up to me back last March at the University of Denver. We were um, at an event together uh, to launch a new institute over there and um, came up to me and he had heard about lovedog.com and wanted to do some writing and after that, we got to talking about some dog training for my new dog, which needed it. And after today's walk, I can tell you needs it again. And, uh, you know, and here we are doing this podcast and we're, well, I'm pretty excited about it. I think we have, we have a lot of good things lined up, over 60 episodes lined up. We'll be doing them every other, we'll be launching new releases, I should say, every other Saturday. So today is... Saturday, December 9th, and uh, we'll do another one in two weeks. And in between, we may be lucky and we may do some bonus, some bonus um, episodes. And we've got a few of those lined up as well. So who, who do you want to talk about what we're going to do here quickly? Well, I, I just want to say that stuff. I'm really excited about what we're going to do here today and, mm -hmm. and throughout the course of this show, because when we met, you told me, you know, you wanted to create the Bible with lovedog.com and how there wasn't a great go-to resource. And one of my biggest problems, just like the question you asked me, what's a behaviorist? I want people to have a place where they can go answer those questions a simple, reliable resource full of accredited professionals with knowledge that they can turn to. So my hope with lovedog.com and lovedog the podcast is that I can bring these amazing people in and say, hey, you wanna meet a behaviorist? Let me introduce you to this person. And I will do that through the course of the website and the show. And, and I'm just excited to get to know our audience in this community. So I hope everybody listening subscribes and turns in. There's going to be something for everybody, whether you're a behavior geek like me or you're a total novice and you just love dogs. There's something for everybody on the show and on the site. Yeah. And all I really you know want to add to that uh, one or two things, because you know me, <laughs> right? Um the idea here is to have, it really is just to get into, into some great conversations with experts, with leaders, with influencers out there. We want to be serious here. We want to have fun here. 
Um, we want to cover the whole range of topics um, through these great conversations. And I, we, what we hope will, will happen here is that there will be a takeaway for our audience and they will be able to take the information that we give them and they will be able to go out there and apply it and use it. And there's going to be some of that in every show. The last point or two I want to make here is that we've talked about this, this idea that we know what we don't know, but we don't know what we don't know. So I think we all know that we need to know more about the issues about dogs, medical issues, nutrition issues, um, things like that. And we're going to, we're going to get into that, but what we don't know that we don't know, did I say that right? <laughs> we don't know what we don't know. And I think where we can really shine here is the potential that exists in the relationship between the human and the dog and the the connection, the bond, the friendship. So we want to talk a little bit about shifting the paradigm a bit from a dog is man's best friend, which we all are familiar with that, to um, being your dog's best friend. That's the focus. The hope is that we begin to talk about dogs in a new way and and see dogs in a new way and embrace them in a new way and bring them into our lives in a new way. If we can do that on this podcast, on this show, then I think we've got something. I think we've got something important to offer. And I hope our audience just grows and grows and grows and grows into a, into a flourishing uh, community. That would be great. I think with that, we are re really ready to talk about our guest. I love it. What you talked about, Mark, is so important, that paradigm shift. I find with dogs, because they're so familiar, you might even say canis familiaris, there's a little nerdy lingo for you there, is that they're too familiar. People think they know everything about dogs because we're accustomed to them. We see them every day. They're in our homes, in our communities. So we don't get curious about them. And one of my big hopes is that people become curious about that dog we're sharing our lives with this other species. And so there's no better first guest. We, I'm so excited that we have Mark Beckoff coming on as our first guest today. And I'll do his full bio in here. But the biggest thing you need to know about Mark is he devotes every part of his being to researching, writing, teaching about animals and animal sentience, emotions, and how we connect and understand, interpret, and impact the lives. And he's written countless books, 30 to 40, depending on how you count, with all of his contributions, many of which are about dogs. Um, his new book, Dog Demystified, we get into some good references to unleashing the dog, um, but he has tons of volumes. You have to check out his website to see all of them. But the biggest thing to know about Mark is he's just this warm, fabulous person. The only hiccup is that you're both called Mark. So I, I'll refer to you as MD often in the show. And that's my mm -hmm. good friend and co-host, Mark Drucker and Mark Beckoff, who we will talk to as Mark. So for clarity and housekeeping sake, but it, yeah, and I'm Mark with the K and he's Mark with the C. So yes, it's, we wanted Mark on for a very specific reason as our first guest. I think he sets the stage for us about this whole relationship building yeah. idea, this whole connection building idea and all the potential. And pay careful attention to what we talk about when it comes to bringing dogs into our homes, we being their captors, they being in captivity, right? It's yeah. really, really fascinating 
and and challenging. I think that's going to challenge some people. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I think what we want you to walk away with here is that just let dogs be dogs. Welcome to Love Dog. This is our podcast. I'm Mark Drucker, and I'll be hosting the show with Drew Webster. If you're hoping to learn great stuff about dogs, we think you've come to just the right place. Simply put, we're having great conversations about dogs with leaders, experts, influencers, and the like, so we can help you make the best choices. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. All right. Today on the show, we have Dr. Mark Beckoff. Mark Beckoff is a professor emeritus of the University of Colorado Boulder. He's published between 30 and 40 books, depending on how you count, including uh, many, <laughs> many uh, encyclopedias and contributed to textbooks. He writes on the popular column for Psychology Today. He's a compassionate conservationist and, and works for animal protection. Mark has donated so much of his time to protecting and working with animals and the people who are interested in doing so. It's just such an honor to have you on the show today. Mark Drucker, who I'm going to refer to as MD for clarity's sake, is joining us today too. But today we're going to talk about all things dog and why we all love dogs. But also we're going to talk about Mark Beckoff's new book, Dogs Demystified. Uh, a to Z guide to all things canine. So, Mark, welcome to Love Dog. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure to be here. I love talking about dogs, and people like hearing about dogs, but sometimes they don't like hearing what I say. But that's okay. <laughs> well, we like hearing what you say, and we're very excited to hear what you have to say today. But I wanted to jump right in and talk a little bit about your new book, Dogs Demystified, because mm-hmm. you are challenging some of those cultural myths that we all hold. Um, So tell me a little bit about the layout and the format of this book. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. Well, yeah, I mean, I really wrote the book as a source book. So if people have, you know, sort of laid out alphabetically like an encyclopedia, I wrote it so that people would be fluent in dog. I wrote it to dispel certain myths, which, you know, I did whenever there was a topic that Lent, lent itself to that sort of discussion, but it was really to get people to and give give people an easy way to connect with their dog or dogs, um, and and just in a really simple way so that everybody could read it, and you know even people for whom English um, isn't their is in their first language, you know they're able to read it um, easily, and and really the big picture view is just want to improve um, human-dog relationships and to tell people, you know, who dogs are, what they want, what they need. Because when a dog-human relationship goes south, as we say in English, it's usually the dog who suffers, you know. Um, So those were the simple reasons. Well, another reason, too, is I'm an ethologist, and I wanted – people to understand that dog behavior has evolved just like the behavior of other animals. And that because all dogs come from a common wolf ancestor, they still have wolf genes and wolf engrams in their brains. Um, And which dispels the myth that dogs are dumbed down wolves. No, dogs are dogs and they're not dumbed down wolves. Um, 
but it also explains why they pee, the, their peeing patterns. They, they mount and they hump and they growl and there are alpha dogs and they form dominance relationships just like wolves. And um, it, it also you know, tells people very clearly that dogs do have wolf ancestry. You know, they're highly social animals. They, feral, feral, feral and free-ranging dogs form packs that look like wolf packs. They're dominant and less and, and subordinate individuals. And, and then, of course, and I'm, I know we'll get back to this, just because dogs form dominance relationships doesn't mean that we should be dominating them and beating them up to, to get them to do what we want them to do or not to do what we don't want them to do. Yeah, it's a prevailing theme that we always run into. I work as a professional dog trainer. And so I tell people so much of my job is basically people calling me and asking me if I can stop dog behavior, you know, and it sounds <laughs> funny to say it like that. But, you know, when people talk about barking and pulling and jumping and all these things, it's just these dogs that are kind of pent up. They're almost, you know, just desperate to get out. MD, I know you had something on that you were interested in. Yeah, I mean, this whole conversation is a great segue into um, yet a, another conversation and another book that you didn't mention, Unleashing Your Dog, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that Mark wrote with Jessica Pierce, I believe. When did that book come out? A few years ago, a couple of years ago? Four years ago. Four years ago. And just to fast forward for a second, then we'll come back to where I want, I want to go. There's a passage in here, an excerpt from here, our basic message and the basic freedom enhancer we've tried to emphasize throughout this book is to let your dog be a dog mm -hmm. as, much as, as much as possible, as often as possible, and with as much patience and goodwill as possible. And I think that's what Drew is saying, that these dogs, it happened with my dog that just came into my life a few months ago, an adopted dog. And Drew pointed out, which I thought was kind of brilliant, this is just dogs being dogs <laughs> and humans have to acclimate and adjust and attune, you know, if they want to get the best out of that relationship, which you've now mentioned a few times, this human dog, human canine relationship. Right. And, and the phrases, the phrase that we use and I use a lot really is that there are dog appropriate behaviors and you know, the ones that we don't like, you know, could be humping and mounting and biting and barking and growling and licking themselves and doing all the things that people, a lot of people, I don't particularly, but a lot of people find very um, off-putting. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line being, because dogs are captive individuals, and mm -hmm. I don't mean that in a negative way, but that's sort of the underlying theme in un Unleashing Your Dog is to let them be as free as they can be as much as you can let them be free. You just talked about some of the things, for example, that humans might find, I would use the word grotesque. <laughs> but this is dog behavior. So humans have to accommodate that and just know that. So don't necessarily say no. I think in your book, Unleashing Your Dog, you say, I think 70 or 80% of what people say to their dog is no. I think there was some somebody out in the dog park that noticed this and they rarely say yes. And we have to, I think, learn to say yes a little bit more. And as Mark just alluded to in Unleashing Your Dog, the, the, big, the big idea, the big idea, I think, in that book 
is the idea that we humans, when we take these dogs into our home, we, we bring them or we put them into captivity. And as Mark already said a little earlier, it's not a negative thing. And we are, the, we are their captors, yes? Mm-hmm. So let me just say that, so no one is offended, there's the kind of captivity where a dog is being caged in a laboratory somewhere, which is cruel. There's the dog that is in the dog shelter who's waiting to find their forever family. And mm-hmm. if the shelter is well run, and many, many are, the dog is being well taken care of. That's, but that's a different kind of captivity. And then there's the kind of captivity where we humans take dogs out of their wild setting, their natural setting, or the setting that would be most natural to them. You know, we bring them into our homes and we do the best that we can to make that captivity a good captivity. So in this book, you talk about that. You mention words like enhancements, enrichments, and freedoms. And the the reason I want to talk about this and really have you explain that to people, and the reason I believe that it's at the core of what we're trying to do here on the podcast, is because, you know, people know what they don't know. So what I mean by that is they know they have to learn about dogs being vaccinated. They know they have to learn about when dogs get sick, what to do. Uh, They know they have to learn certain things about training and feeding Mm -hmm. and all those kinds of things that are pretty obvious. But then there's the big category out there, the big space. They don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And specifically what I'm getting at is they don't know the potential that exists in the human dog, human canine relationship. They don't know what's possible because they haven't been taught. Mm -hmm. And as research continues and we learn more about animal sentience and feelings that the animals have and the emotions that animals have, you know, they just don't know about that. So that's what I want you to talk about and help people understand the potential, what's really there for them in this friendship, in this relationship, in this connection with their dog, and maybe give a little bit of information about how to go about getting that going. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's all it's all related to a lot of it's related to why people get a dog in the first place, of course. You know, if they get a dog just to be a companion or somebody to dominate or control, because there's a lot of control freaks out there, then, um, you know, they're not going to spend the time trying to figure out who a dog is and what they need and want from us. Um, You know, in terms of dogs being viewed as captive animals, it's not meant to be a pejorative or a negative thing at all. But some people take it that way. And that's okay. Because a lot of people don't think of dogs as, you know, especially homed dogs as being captive animals. We, we control their lives. We tell them, you know, when they can eat, what they can eat, where they can eat, when they can play, with whom they can play, how they can play, where they can pee, you know, every, I mean, everything, you know, and I know people who have dogs, they're wonderful people and they shouldn't live with a dog because they're just control freaks and they want to, they, they're looking for more of an object, you know, they could just get a wind up dog or a pet rock or mm-hmm. some thing like that. 
Um, so one of the main things about it is if you view dogs as being captive, which a lot of them are, then if you want to give them more freedoms or enhancements, you figure out what dogs like. Dogs are individuals. So of, of all the dogs I lived with, some of them really liked to chase tennis balls. Some of them didn't care. Some of them enjoyed, because I lived in the mountains outside of Boulder, some of them enjoyed looking for food. So some mornings, because um, I, I lived in a great place. They, were, they rarely had leashes or collars on. There were dogs in all, there were only five houses on this big road. So it, it wasn't very densely packed. Every, every house had a dog. Dogs would come down to my house. I'd give them treats. I'd bury them on my property. They'd spend five hours looking for them. That was an enhancement. Um, Mark Beckoff, you, you invented canine nose work years before it was a hot thing, right? Canine what? Nose work. Oh, <laughs> nose work. Yeah. I mean, fact, when I first saw the word nose work, I thought, oh, Josh, I've been doing that for four yeah. years. What is that? <laughs> well, it's so funny as you're talking because, you know, the buzzwords in my community in the dog training world is autonomy and agency. And you're talking about the, these rights for animals to express normal species, typical or species, regular behaviors that they would otherwise have natural outlets for. And MD, you mentioned like these behaviors being repulsive to some people. And I think it surprises people when dogs express normal behaviors. And so much of what Mark Beckoff is talking about is this idea that our dogs are frustrated. And so many of the behaviors I see as a dog trainer, which we now label as reactivity, which might lead to aggression or, or some of this comes from probably those animals being so pent up. And now we're talking about things like canine enrichment, which this whole concept of enrichment comes from captive animals in zoos, you know, and now we're talking about with our pet dogs. So it should tell us a lot of the things that we're doing with animals are creating frustration and we have to provide more right. opportunities for them to express their normal behaviors. Yeah. I mean, I think of what I call the, the four or five C's there's choice, agency, context, consistency, control. These are, these are just the words that, you know, that I use a lot that are really, really important. And I think that, the more freedoms and the more choices and the more the more a dog feels in control, the happier the dog will be. When you give these dogs a choice, they, they feel safe. They feel they could trust you because safety and trust are critical in all relationships, not only dog-human relationships, you know. And so, the, you know, the other, another bottom line, you know, people talk about the bottom line. There's many bottom lines is appreciating not only that dogs have different needs and desires than we do, but each dog is an individual. And that's where I was going before. I mean, even among the dogs who I lived with, you know, some, some were rescued and they were just totally different. Some, some really enjoyed looking for treats for all day. Some could care less about treats. Um, Some liked chasing tennis balls. Some didn't. The main point being that not only are there dog-specific or dog-appropriate behaviors, there are individual-appropriate behaviors. Mm-hmm. And so, if you, when, I had, I mean, I'm sure Jessica did too. When we wrote our book, um, Unleashing Your Dog, people, some people were really shocked by the word captivity. But when we explained it, which we do in the book, 
you know, in a nice way. Right. You know, and we're not we're not faulting the people. No. We're just saying, look, you know, you got a dog here, you got an ascension being here, and you're controlling their entire life, yeah. including where they sleep, when they sleep, when they eat, when they pee, when they poop, when they play. They don't like it. They like the freedoms. So the enhancements, I, I used to look at the, and when Jessica and I were writing the book and we, we used the word deprivations and enhancements, I was thinking, and enrichment is the other word, of course. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, well, that's what I was able to do really easily. And Jessica, to some extent, too, where she lived. But we were writing that book a lot for more homed dogs. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I never got a negative email. I don't think Jessica mm -hmm. did. We got a lot of notes from people saying, well, thank you. You know, I don't like when my dog puts their nose in the butt of another dog. Right, but, but right. That, but that's who the but that's how they learn about another dog. Just like when I'm looking around trying to see something or hear something, you know. So among the do's and don'ts, there's a lot of them. But when well, the, your, your dog's walk is for the dog, so don't you, pull them along. Right. Don't so you say make, there's nothing there. <laughs> there's a lot there for right. the dog. Well, you make the point that there the a dog's um, olfactory senses are a thousand times more sensitive than a human's. We have a more sensitivity to taste than they do perhaps, but mm. they've got the nose. When you're taking your dog for a walk and they just want to stand there and sniff, let them, yep. you know, just let them. When a dog scratches after they go to the bathroom, there is scent in their in their paws, perhaps, that they're leaving behind for other dogs to come find. So these are all dog behaviors to be aware of. I found it fascinating. And this is where, yeah, you know, let a dog just be a dog and do dog things with a reasonable amount of precaution. You don't want the dog eating things that are obviously going to hurt them. Um, and you have to mm -hmm. be careful about that. And you don't always know that. And we can keep talking about this as much as we want because it's so important. But what I would love to, you know, get into a little bit is the importance of walking your dog and just the connection that can come from walking a dog mm -hmm. and the importance of a dog, a dog play and how they play. And just, mm -hmm. I think those are two big things because walking a dog is a huge part of having a dog and letting a dog out to be free and to play with other dogs and socializing them is another huge part and some of it is misunderstood. Yep. The dog's walk is for the dog. I mean, that's the simplest way to put it. You, that you don't pull them along. If you only have a half hour, they'll learn at some point. They don't keep a, they don't have an iPhone for timing, but they'll know that I'm only out here for a certain amount of time. And what I used to do, um, and it was really, I, I wrote about it uh, recently um, is I'd get up in the morning, I'd get up early, uh, dogs would go outside in the mountains. I had a big outdoor run that was uh, coyote, bear, and cougar proof. And they knew they had an hour, you know, not that they were looking at 60 minutes, but on some days they'd run up the drive and we'd walk and go out, you know, for an hour. Some days one would go right back to the uh, run and go to sleep. And the others would, or the other one, I only had two who I really had primary uh, responsibility for. The other would just, you know, go, let's, you know, say, let's go, Mark. We're going on a hike. 
Can um, I can I say one thing there? You said the the walk is for the dog, right? Right. Well, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but I just want to say that lately I've been taking Hank, my my dog, up the foothills for these walks. He's off mm -hmm. lead. Mm -hmm. Not that he should be in. It's been this beautiful thing that we're able to do together now that he trusts me and I trust him and I don't have to mm -hmm. worry about him running away. So while it is for the dog, the human gets a lot out of it, a lot of pleasure. Well, and I think what Mark Beckoff's kind of alluding to something I run into a lot is people are walking the dog with the intention that oh, I'm going to be gone. Maybe I'm a nine to five or this is my time to quote, wear him out or give him that exercise yeah. of the day. So he's tired. <laughs> what they don't realize is this creature, this quadruped is, you know, <laughs> an endurance athlete. You're not going to wear him out by walking around suburbia for, you know, half an hour, an hour. So you might as well mentally stimulate him by letting him smell all those spots where all the resident dogs peed or the little bunny beans or whatever odors hanging out there that's going to be much more mentally um charging and enriching for their day where they're going to be bored all day than if you physically just try to wear them out and i really encourage people to do that through play with the dog which is more bonding than you know say going to a dog park or something like that where they're connecting with their dog if their dog will play with them right and the walk is right the walk is part of socializing Although after a while, the dog knows pretty well what their relationship is with, you know, their human. Um, so, but, but right. I mean, when I say it's for the dog, it means that if, if your dog, like my dogs could be free all day if I were home and I worked at home a lot. So the, 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 the walk in the morning was not that important because they could get exercise by going up the road and doing the things they want to do. But your average person who snaps a collar and a leash on the dog um, should let the dog sniff. And if they want to sniff for a half hour, let them sniff. If they're looking around, you know, let them look around. But inherent in that relationship is the dog begins or becomes more trusting of you and not like they're saying, oh, good, you know, Drew lets me be a dog. But that's part of what they're saying. And, and they'll be happier, you know, they'll be a happier dog than being, you know, controlled all day because, you know, you could see a situation where, right. And, and, and I should also say that, you know, a walk in the morning is not a substitute for leaving. The, it's not an ex excuse or shouldn't be used as an excuse for leaving the dog all day. If you're going to be gone a few hours, fine. But if you're going to be gone all day, find somebody else, especially, you know, in a home dog. But I wanted to get back to the dog, if you will, appropriate behaviors, because the, the, the two that there's, there's two that I focused on a lot, but there's others like barking. In fact, I just was talking to somebody yesterday that Dogs don't really excessively bark. If a dog is barking a lot or more than normally, there's something wrong. And the dog is telling you that. But chewing. So the entry I put in um, Dogs Demystified, and I, I, I um, quoted my friend Paul, excuse me, Paul McGreevy, who's an Australian ethologist and a veterinarian, um, is chewing is a natural behavior. I mean, I've studied wild coyotes, I've watched wild wolves, I've watched wild foxes. They chew a lot. 
So when a dog starts chewing your sock or chewing the side of your couch or something that you love, they're not trying to piss you off. They're trying to exercise their gums and their teeth. And that's really important. And I actually have had a few emails about that saying, well, you're right. My dog chews a lot. It really upsets me. But I realize that it's that's part, if you will, of what is what it means to be a dog. So well, I'll just say on that, that I had two golden retrievers that two goldens that chewed socks, underwear, towels, napkin. Mm-hmm. And now I have this lab that won't chew anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, not all. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I miss it because it was so adorable when they steal the towel and take and run outside with it or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, most people find that not adorable and they get really, <laughs> and they get really upset, but that's a good example. Some dogs are chewers and some aren't. So if the dog's a chewer, let them chew. I mean, what I, what I like about, this discussion and what I like about thinking of dogs as, you know, once again, as captive individuals is the question would be, if you felt that you were being restrained, what would you want to feel more in control of your life? You, you want more agency, you want more choices and, and, and I don't know. Well, more you know, freedom. And more freedoms. Right. Exactly. More and more enhancements and more enrichments. Right. They're, they're all, Related, and that was part of what we were trying to do in Unleashing Your Dog. And it's really one of the threads that goes through dogs demystified is accept your dog for who they are. I mean, and I don't mean like if your dog is an aggressive dog who bites people, but I mean, accept your dog. Each dog has an, indi- has an individual personality. Um, and work as hard to give them the most freedoms you can. I mean, I mean, to me, it's really simple. And people say, well, you know, I live in the middle of New York City or downtown Boulder or even Denver. I can't let them run free because of cars. Of course you can't. So you know that there are constraints on you. So, and you and your dog. So when you can maximize the freedoms and the enhancements, do it. Yeah, sounds like a weekend field trip. Well, those work too. I mean, I, I feel like for my dogs, I mean, they had a good life and it was easy for me. I mean, I have, I hate to say it that way, but now that I live in downtown Boulder, you know, I see it all ranging from zero to 10. I met a woman some years ago. I think I wrote about her in Dogs Demystified where I was walking down uh, Pearl street, a big street in Boulder. I went to get a coffee. As I passed her, the dog was sniffing. A bunch of uh, later on, you know, I don't know, it could have been 10, 15 minutes. Dog is still sniffing. So I said, oh, that's wonderful. I see your dog likes to sniff. And she said, it's his walk. (laughs) I mean, you know, she was not, she wasn't upset. She just said, if he wants to sniff, he can sniff to his heart's content. Mm -hmm. He knows I have to get home and go to work. And and of course, she didn't mean that, you know, he's got an iPhone and he knows what she does. But it really was you know, it was really a reminder to me that some people are sensitive to the fact that dogs like to sniff or wiggle their ears and look around or stare into space, but they're really trying to, say, focus on something. Can I tell so, a little story about a dog in traffic? Sure. Anybody want to hear? <laughs> I mean, I, I had my first dog. He was a golden. And back in 1990, 
2004, we moved to LA and I just couldn't get this dog to walk on a leash. But in LA, we moved from Manhattan to LA and I couldn't get him to walk on the leash and I just didn't do the training that I should have done at the time. So in LA, it was easier because we had a park right across the street and he didn't need to be on the leash. So it wasn't really a problem. But when I came back to Manhattan a year later, um, then it was on the leash and it was killing my back and I just could not get this dog to stop pulling. So you mentioned trust earlier, right? Mm-hmm. I walk across Columbus Avenue onto uh, the, the, you know, the sidewalk around the Museum of Natural History. It was the Upper West Side. And this was right at 79th Street. And I said, okay, Baxter, this is going to be it right now. I'm taking you off the leash and you're going to do what you're going to do because I cannot do this anymore. (laughs) This probably isn't a good story to tell, but he stayed with me. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't go into the street. And what he would Mm -hmm. do is then we'd get around to 77th Street and he ran to the hot dog guy right in the middle of the block. And then he'd go up to 81st and get cookies from the doorman. And then we'd round the corner and on 81st, he'd run into the deli, he'd jump up and they'd throw him roast beef. And no, this was, I just, I did not have to have the dog on the leash. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was just a trust issue that taught me a lot about the dog trusting you and you letting, and I'm not advising anybody do that, obviously, Mm -hmm. but, but about you letting the dog know you trust them. I feel like there's a way to convey that. Yeah. And that's my, that's exactly my point is that Mm -hmm. the dog trusts you and feels safe with you. And I don't know what vocabulary or what sentences are going through the dog's head, but they're going, wow, that human over there or whatever they think, you know, that mammal who walks on two legs is allowing me to express myself. And yes, yes. And that's why I think yes. dogs who feel safe and yes. are trusting are happier. Yes. And and I I mean I I, I really I, and I've actually had people um tell me that, you know, where they because I go to dog parks and I, I haven't been recently a lot. I go still, but I was going a lot when I was writing some of these books. And over time, people would say, I think my dog is happier because I'm giving them more latitude to be a dog. What do you think? And I said, I think that's exactly right. Because you put them in the car, you drive them to the dog park, and you know, maybe the bubble in their brain is, oh, wow, they're gonna, I'm going to be a dog for an hour. So it's okay if I go home and I have to lie down in the living room for two hours or three hours. Mm-hmm. So trust and safety are critical. Mm-hmm. And then I really think it's like in human beings, when you feel when you feel safe and you feel you're in a trusting relationship and somebody's going to let you be who you are, whether they like it or not, it really facilitates the formation and um, the maintenance of a really long term strong bond. And that's the bottom line is we want these dogs. We want our dogs to bond with us. Right. Um, a lot for safety reasons, if nothing else, in, in situations where they cannot go off on their own. Um, or like when I lived in the mountains, you know, my dogs would run free, but there were cougars, black bears, foxes, occasional coyotes. I, and it's like your situation, Mark Drucker, of your dog knowing where to go. I didn't train my dogs actively, but over time, they knew that if my hand went to my right pocket, I had a treat. Because exactly. I didn't want to have to be out in the wilderness. It's amazing. 
Jethro come when there's a bear or a cougar around who would focus on the, or would play off of the vocal signal. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and, and what I'm pleased to say is over decades, including my five other neighbors, we didn't have a single incident of any dog running free with a bear, a, ki- a cougar, coyote, a fox. Is it, you know, so somebody said, well, you were lucky too. Yeah, we were lucky too. But I think what it was, was the dogs knew the, I mean, the dogs knew these animals were around before we did. And if I sensed that they were looking nervous, looking around, I would put my hand in my pocket. And, 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 and the other thing that's important in this discussion is when people ask me training questions, I say, I'm not a trainer and I'm not a trainer. And so on a number of occasions, I had to call a trainer to come work with me. And there was a trainer around Boulder some years ago. She just laughed. She said, you need a dog trainer. I said, I have no idea how to stop my dog from jumping off the pillow and running to the front door and growling. She did it in one or two trials. But, but the point is, I knew what I didn't know. I know a lot about dog behavior. I had no idea how to get Jethro to stop that Mm. behavior. I have, I had no idea of why he did it because Mm. I rescued him you know, after he had been on his own for quite a while. So, last, you know. Last, yeah. Last question I have is, and they want to protect us. So the Maybe. dog would walk 10, 20 yards ahead of me in a park where it was legal to walk off the leash, mm-hmm. but always looking back to see where I was. Mm-hmm. And if another dog would approach me, which would happen frequently, mm-hmm. mine would come running back to me. Right. Does that make any I mean, sense to you? Am I reading that wrong? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if they were trying to protect you, but they might have been. But I also think that they felt that bond. And it was like, I mean, it, you know, I could explain that away, not knowing the details, because I don't know the details of context, which is really critical, because mm-hmm. maybe they were jealous. Um, that human being is going to show attention to right. another dog. So, so I'm going to come right. back and say, hey, I'm your dog, buddy. <laughs> I mean, but no, but I, but I really love that example, Mark Drucker, because it just shows you that the dogs are, are dogs are really aware of what's going on, even They're though aware. they don't give any indication often that they are. So, but and, what you're what you're both getting at, what I love is this this concept of awareness and and getting curious. And Mark Beckoff, I've heard you say this numerous times when you're asking people to become citizen scientists, you don't want people to go get honorary ethology degrees. You want no. them to pay attention. You want them to get curious about that behavior. So instead of labeling it and saying, oh, he's doing this because say, I wonder why he does that. Or mm-hmm. Gee, isn't that interesting that that seems to happen on occasion? And really that to me is sort of the power mm-hmm. of your work is you're trying to shake people out of this idea of just labeling what they see and say, why is that? And and getting curious about it rather than just getting caught up on each individual thing that's happening and saying that is who he is of saying, oh, that's something he does. I wonder why. And Mark, you said you had it easy when you lived in the country. And that's something us dog trainers are always talking about is how the environment puts pressures or removes pressures of behavior on the environment. So when you're talking about captivity, I know you went on Mike Shikashio's show. We're going to have Mike on Love Dog here because he's so great at this. We were talking about constrained dogs being more frustrated and why you might see some aggression as a side effect of this. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, they and, don't and like. I really love that. Yeah, they don't like being pent up. I, I, I mean, they don't like being, oh, they don't like being over controlled. I think the, the, the data to which my Mark Drucker was referring before was, um, I just when I, I spent so much time at dog parks, I became a really great citizen scientist. Although I am a scientist, it was about eighty five percent of the time people were talking, saying, "No, don't do this. Right. Stop. Come right. here." Right. Five percent of the time there were more freedoms. Right. And what I what also just really struck me and I've had other people repeat these, you know, sort of citizen scientist projects was that I'm always telling dogs good dog. And sometimes people will say, well, why did you say good dog? And I said, well, because because they're here. <laughs> I said, you know, it's like with a person, you know, you don't have to wait to a person to do something to just say, oh, you're a really nice person. Yeah, I really like you or something like that. But it was the 85, 85% of the time. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to be true in all cases, but just now living down in town, listening to people, um, you know, sometimes because I ride my bike a lot, I'll get home or I'll stop and I, I'll just make a little voicemail to myself. You know, um, that's what I'm seeing in town. At least three quarters of the time, I feel very comfortable saying people are controlling their dog. They're making them, if you will, more captive. They're making them feel like the, the dog itself or himself or herself. They're making them feel like they have no control over their lives. Or like the bubble being, what is, what's this person doing? I know what I'm doing. I'm trying to sniff who's been here and how they feel. I'm trying to locate a sound. Or whenever I'm here at this time of the day, Joe and Mary are here. So I'm looking for them, you know. Um, I just think yeah. it's amazing to hear all this or to read all about it and then go out and watch your dog do, a, do it all. And then you're, then you're like, okay, just keep doing that. I'm going to let him do it. You know, yeah. he's, he's supposed to, he's the dog. I mean, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's wonderful. I got myself a dog. I didn't get yeah. myself a stuffed yeah. dog or, or some, or right. an ascension being to control. Right. I love it. Yeah. I love that. I want, I want to read you a quote from your book that kind of summarizes a lot of what we've talked about today. And I, I loved this. And you said, however, my deeper hope, both with this book and when I speak to people, is that increased understanding will foster more caring. A dog's feelings matter to them and they should matter to us. We should take the perspective and emotions of our dogs into account for every aspect of our shared lives. This applies to training. We often place unrealistic social expectations on dogs, especially home dogs, who are constantly being asked what to do and what we want them to do. So giving dogs an extra tender, loving care is really good for them and for us. There is no shortage of dogs who will benefit from humans trying to figure out what it's like to be a dog. Wow. Yeah, I know. I read it when you sent it to me. And I said, wow, that's pretty good. Who, who wrote, wrote that? that? <laughs> who wrote that? Oh, you did. Yeah, I mean, that, what I is mean, it like to be that, a dog? Would somebody please tell me? <laughs> right. To, I mean, dying to know. <laughs> Drew, do you really know how to answer that question? That, that captures really what we're what we're, <laughs> what we're talking about the share the notion of shared you know I I've written a lot that we we form relationships with dogs and other animals because of we're we're all sentient beings we all have rich and deep emotional lives and I write about emotions being sh you know um 
sort of um, a social glue. And 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 I always I always say to people if they really you know want to know more is how do you feel when you feel restrained? How do you feel when someone's just trying to control your life totally? No, no one likes it. No, and I said to you in the beginning I could look up anthropocentrism first, and I always get accused of being anthropomorphic anthropomorphic when I say stuff like that, you know. But really, I think we separate ourselves and say, well. I'm a human and they're a dog yeah. and we don't connect as mammals and think about how similar we are from our internal systems to our emotional systems. And so I think something that your work has highlighted over the years is often we can look at ourselves, what our needs are, what we feel like when we experience things, and then use that to extrapolate or imagine what might that be like for a nonverbal creature who expresses themselves this way? And what might be the side effect of feeling frustration or feeling pent up? You know, mm -hmm. we say things like cabin fever. I often say dogs hate Fridays because all these people come home on Fridays oh. and they're like, the work week's over. And the dog's like, I'm so happy you're home. And they're like, I'm going out to dinner. And the dog's like, you just got here. Yeah, you what just got here. <laughs> Or I used to ride my bike home when I lived in the mountains and I was teaching at the university and probably more than half the time I would get home and I'd, I'd wake them up, you know, they'd be sleeping, they had a beautiful view. And I can imagine that the bubble in their head was, hey, you know, we're doing okay. You don't have to be here. Why'd you wake, why'd you wake us up from our siesta? Um, but but you're, you're right. I mean, I mean, I think where this is really leading to, you know, and, and, and I really like it is that you've got a relationship, you've got to figure out what works for both parties, or if there's more, but say both parties, it's a negotiate, it's a, it's an ongoing negotiation. It's got to be give and take on all part, you know, everyone's part. But to me, the most important thing or among the most important things for me to realize when I started living with dogs was I've got to give them the benefit of the doubt and I've got to give in more than they give in. I mean, I, I, like, I like it when it's 50-50 and of course that's what we like because in the end, and, and I think more and more people are realizing this, if a problem arises and, and if some, someone decides either to keep the dog more captive or give them up and abandon, you know, give them up and surrender them. It's the dog who suffers. I've, I've really never had anybody argue with me about that because it's just common sense. Look at mm -hmm. what happened with all the pandemic dogs. People got them. They couldn't take care of them. They gave them up. They abandoned them. You know, I've heard in college towns and I haven't really verified it around Boulder, although I get a feeling sometimes, you know, um, Humane societies and shelters will tell you that around holidays, a lot of students just let the do their dogs go. Summer break, they just put, they take the dog to the dog park and abandon them in some oh years ago. Oh my God. Well, real. I'm not, I'm not saying how, I, I can't say because I don't know how common it is, but I do know that on two trips to one of the local dog parks at different times of the mm -hmm. year, dogs were dropped off there and humans never came back to get them. So Drew, this is, you bring up Alexander Horowitz in your book, Mark, mm -hmm. a few times, and we saw her speak at uh, the Institute for the Sentience at Denver, University of Denver. This is something that she spoke about at that, at that event. We would love mm -hmm. to have her on to talk more about the rights of animals, because I think 
that's what that gets to. And that cannot happen. <clears throat> that's just awful. Right. I mean, that's just terrible. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I had a big concern about the pandemic. All these people were rescuing, you know, take, adopting dogs. And I thought to myself, what percentage of these dogs are going to go back? Because when you oh. know, because when you know what a dog goes through from the place where they come from to get to where they arrive, there's already mm -hmm. trauma and now there's going to be more trauma. And a lot of people don't realize that as well. And they're not prepared for that. Um, uh -huh. I hear the number isn't as high as I thank God, as I thought it might be in terms of returns or sur yeah. surrenders, I guess is the word, but we talked about animal sentience. You just want to do a few, a few seconds on animal sentience sure. and give people a sense of what that really means and why it's a hot topic. Yep. I think it's a hot um, topic. Actually, it comes up a lot now. It does. And I'm glad the word is making it more into, if you will, popular literature too. Sentience is all about feeling. That's all I have to say. I mean, okay. no, I mean, but I don't mean that in, you know, facetiously. Sentience, sapiens is knowing, you know, homo sapiens, you know. So it's emotion, emotion, what? feeling, emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling emotion. Um, having feeling. Yes. Yes. Um, having feelings that matter to you, you know, cause sometimes, you know, we all have feelings and we just blow them off. It doesn't matter. But, but really the way I think about sentience is, um, and is that you have to understand that these animals say, say dogs, but all, you know, many, many other animals who are sentient, you know, have feelings that range from joy and happiness and pleasure to being just downright sad um, feeling pain. Um, and yeah, people beat it to death. I don't, I, I don't because it's so easy for humans to define words then then exclude other animals. <laughs> you know, there were, they're just a dog. They're just a dog. Or years ago, there were the philosophical school that said that because, because animals didn't have language, they couldn't have perceptions, beliefs, and desires. I mean, that is just junk. And I, and I was very happy that as a non-philosopher, I could enter into these discussions <clears throat> without losing my academic, well, maybe I lost it, but my academic credibility. But I really do mean that, you know, so, you know, sentience is a word that's making its way into the literature. And it's among the words that I don't really, um, when I say I don't allow my students to talk about, but it's like anthropomorphism. No, there's no such thing as anthropomorphism. You know, just get over it. You know, it's, it's a good excuse for denying animals' emotions. That's how it's used. Yeah. You know, you never see people like me or you all who think that animals get sad and feel grief or get happy and feel pleasure and embarrassment and joy and jealousy and guilt and all that. It's for people who go, oh, you're just being anthropomorphic. The bottom line to that is, they don't have these feelings or we don't know. And I've, I'm just, I, I've actually just had it that I figure people who don't know or don't believe that dogs have rich and deep emotional lives should never own a dog, should never own, they should know, but they should never have live with a dog and should never comment on the emotional lives of other animals. I, 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 I really mean that. That's amazing because, 
you know, it seemed like for years and years it was, oh, prove that this animal is intelligent. And, you know, we always measure intelligence based on our own human centric view of this is what defines intelligence. And it wasn't until your good friend Jane Goodall said, oh, we're not the only ones that use tools. Look at this. And now we're yeah. having the same conversation about sentience and emotions of saying, well, <laughs> we're the only ones who feel complex emotions. And we're like, are you kidding? Have you ever no. lived with an animal? That's exactly, exactly, Drew. That's exactly, exactly, yeah, I mean. Exactly it, right. That's 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 exactly right. And and, I mean, and I know we're getting to the end. I mean, a quick summary for me of our, this has been a great, we've covered a lot (laughs) of (laughs) conversation. is just getting a place at the table. Um, I do a lot of work in an area called compassionate conservation. And we just wanted a place at the table because compassionate conservation also relies heavily on, you know, granting animal sentience, mm-hmm. if you will, that every life matters, not because mm-hmm. of what they, what an individual can do for us, but because they're alive, because mm-hmm. they have what we call inherent or intrinsic value. And that's how dogs are, mm-hmm. you know, and when you begin to appreciate the incredible variability among dogs, it just makes life, it makes life richer. Mm-hmm. And if it makes your life richer and it actually enriches you, then it will enrich your relationship. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you said a, a place at the table because it makes me think of what I was wanted to say earlier, which was, I mean, this was the exact conversation I hoped we would have. I think we did cover a lot and I want to bring as many people as we can into this, I'll just call it space of understanding the sentience of dogs and animals, right? Mm-hmm. And we can begin to rethink the paradigm. It's we, we already have begun that because this, this is a big conversation that a lot of people are having. I'm saying the more people that we can invite into this space and to understand this is the way the way you're explaining it, the better off we'll all be together coexisting. You know, this bargain that we and dogs have made about 15, 20, 30,000 years ago, it can (laughs) can keep getting a lot better, you know, as people begin to understand this. I love that. I love that word bargain. Bargain. I know. Yeah, no, I I, I think it. Yeah. uh, If I steal it from you, I'll I'll cite you. Um, no, I mean, I, 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 I really do. I, 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 I really love okay. that word. I mean, we've made, we've made a bargain. Yeah, it's we've a bargain. A I'm bringing yeah. you into my, I'm bringing you into my life and I'm going to do everything I can to grant you permission to be not only to be a dog, but to be the dog who you are, to be the individual dog who you are. And I, and I like that. And that's what I was referring to before in terms of that. It's, it's a two way, it's a two way deal. And if you, it's not this asymmetry where 85%, I say, Drew and Mark D stop. (laughs) It's more, Oh, you seem upset. You, you're, you know, you're barking a lot. What's happening. You're doing something that's not who you, who I know you to be. What, what's happening? Not like, Shut up. Stop sniffing. And I feel like the bargain is, yeah, you let me be the dog. Let me be who I am. I'm a dog. And you can't even imagine the joy I'm going to bring into your life and what what I'm going to give to you. 
Absolutely. And right? I really that's the that, other side of it. I, yeah. And I think that is the ongoing dialogue. I really yeah. do. I mean, yeah. people, you know, can laugh at me, but you know, I'm not saying dogs are sitting down and writing books and I'm not saying, saying dogs are sitting down and saying, okay, this is what I want. But part of, part of what I've been doing for so long and part of the reason, you know, part of, because I'm an ethologist and I do field work and I've watched free ranging and feral dogs and had students studying them is not using home dogs as your template. But from the studies of the free ranging and feral dogs, it tells you more about what home dogs need and want. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's just this blend. And, and that's why I've, I've, I've suggested to some people who lived with mainly home dogs, even in, like in Boulder, go to a dog park. They'll say, my dog doesn't like it. Go alone. You know, that's another big topic. If your dog doesn't like the dog park, don't go. But if you like to go, go alone. And I've had some people go alone to a dog park and come back and really appreciate their dog. They'll yeah, say, we used yeah, to do you know, an exercise. Right. Jesse doesn't like to go to the dog park, but I've watched all these dogs running free and seeming, you know, seemingly happy. I'm not saying they were or not, but they probably were. And that told me that because since Jesse doesn't like to go to a dog park, I've got to give Jesse the opportunity to express his dogness. And that came, like I said, from a woman who whose dog doesn't like to go, mm-hmm. you know, so... She said, what do you think? And I said, you go, don't take Jesse. He doesn't like to go, but you will get, you'll learn lessons from going to a local dog park that will help enhance, enrich, whatever the word you want to use, your relationship with Jesse. And, and it did. And, and another friend, you know, and I'm not going to go off on dog parks because I think they're fine if you both like to go. But another friend told me she would take her dog to a dog park. The dog hated it. And she paid big time because the dog got afraid every time she went to the doors. Dogs going, oh, geez, we're going to that place where there's all these dogs running around. But I'm being serious about it. So, so, so those examples, and I think it's a good place that we can end now, maybe have another conversation, is the, that's a great place to end. Because once again, the dog feels safe. The dog trusts that you are going to make the best decisions for them as an individual. You're living and up to your end of the bargain. And it's, it's your end. It's, it's, it's your end of the bargain. So mm-hmm. anyway, Mark, yeah, thank I've, you. I've I just did. decided I can distill all of these down into two <laughs> words. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> Good night. I think, and you tell me if this is, this is my big takeaway, pay attention, pay attention. I know you, you said that in the beginning. Pay That's attention. It. It's we're not asking you to do anything more for your dog than you do for other people. I want to add to that. I want to add to that. I'm going to add to that. Okay. Okay. And I'm ready. And this is the this is the bargain. This is uh uh-uh, this is the bargain. This is the human end of the bargain. The intention. Pay attention with intention. That's I it. love it. I, I, I'm, I'm okay. writing this down. Because, right. You can write a whole book on the intention a good human has toward their dog. 
Well, I'm not thinking about it. Define the culture now, of pet <laughs> companionship. Yeah, I love it. Anyway, yeah, I'm afraid I should end this because I really have to do. A, 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 <laughs> that's a great. Well, we're glad you're having fun and you wanted to stay late to hang around. That's great. No, this is Mark, great. Yeah, I can't tell you how much your work has meant to me. You know, I've known you off and on for about nine years, but I've been reading and paying attention to your work for so long, and and this is just a great thrill. And I just hope everybody gets to check out the book and. All the work that you're doing is so powerful. And I think when you do start paying attention and really listening to what your dog's needs are, you're not giving something up. You actually get more. Oh. So you, it, it enriches your life and your relationship so much more. And so I thank you. And it's you and your work and, and for being here in your time. So we're so grateful to have you here. No, thank you. I, I love that because I always think of it as a blessing and if you think that you're giving something up and you resent it don't get a dog but that's another topic of who should get dogs thank you so much for joining us today we truly hope that you enjoyed the show and that you may have also found the show or parts of the show helpful if you did there are a few things you can do to support us that we'd appreciate in a very big way first and perhaps most importantly you can tell everyone you know that has a dog about this podcast Word of mouth, as you probably know, is often the best way to get a message out there. So talk up the podcast all you want, and to everyone you can find. That would be great. Thank you. Next, you can hit the subscribe button. The truth is, the more subscribers we have, the more successful we can become, because the easier it will be to scale the show and to attract the best guests, which of course will give you the best and most meaningful experience. And lastly, you can follow us on Instagram at lovedognews. Also, if you want to look at the podcast and view the podcast, we are on YouTube. And you can find us at Love Dog, the podcast. Lastly, if you've got any questions for us, please email them to podcast at lovedog.com. And we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Ask us anything. Tell us what you like. And you can also tell us what you don't like. But remember, we're just a bunch of golden retrievers here. So please go easy on us. We're a new show and we're trying our best. We're going to strive to get better and better at this with each new episode. And also remember, a loved dog is a happy dog. So love your dog today and every day. And we wish you the happiest of howls.